And it would probably even cause them to give up. Like they get jaded and the whole world doesn't like me. That's not how the world works. Like the world works is you give value and then some people will take that value and feel an obligation to come back to you. Hi, my name's Kurt Mercadante and I'm a husband, father, speaker, trainer, and disruptive entrepreneur whose mission is to save the world by helping individuals fight for lives of freedom and fulfillment. And that's what this show is about. We're here to help you fight apathy and conformity in your life. We're here to interview and tell the stories of individuals around the world who are helping others live lives of freedom and fulfillment as well. This is the Freedom Club Podcast, and we're grateful you're here. Welcome to another episode of the Freedom Club Podcast. Got to tell you, I'm a little giddy today. I'm like a kid in a candy store. I feel like this many, many times because I get to interview such incredible people on this show. And today, that is certainly the case. Our guest today is Jeb Blunt. He's a sales acceleration specialist who helps sales organizations wreak peak performance fast by optimizing talent, leveraging training to cultivate a high-performance sales culture, developing leadership and coaching skills, and applying more effective organizational design. He's also the author of one of my very favorite books. It helps me build my business. It's called Fanatical Prospecting. He's got a host of incredible best-selling books, including Sales EQ, Objections. Go check them out. Go to salesgravy.com. He's got just an endless array of resources there for anyone who wants to get better at sales. Jeb is also one of the godfathers of the legendary Outbound Sales Conference held in Atlanta every spring. Today, Jeb and I get into why cold calling is not dead, the importance of picking up that phone, prospecting, sales, closing, mindset, gratitude, abundance. We get into all that and more in today's episode. It is a treat for you. I hope you enjoy it. Here is my interview with sales legend, Jeb Blunt. Well, so I want to I want to start off with a, a little story. I was at, a, at an event last night and a small business owner comes to me. He's put together a software package and he, um, he, his, his target audience is small, medium nonprofits. He's got a CRM, a whole contact thing, right? And he's like, you know, who, can you help me, Kurt? Can you point me in the right direction? You know, I'm doing these webinars. I'm building my list. I'm putting out content online. I have an email list of six or 700 people. And I know they're in my, you know, they're prospects, they're real possible clients, but I'm not, I'm not getting any clients. I'm not making any money. Do you have anything? And my first question was, well, have you picked up the phone and called any of them? And it was just absolute silence. No. And I said, well, you have this list. Why don't you start calling them? What are you doing? Well, I email them. I invite them to things. Um, and picking up the phone, you would have thought I told him to go jump out of an airplane, right? Is picking up the phone a lost art? And I guess that can lead into what he was doing wouldn't even typically be cold calling, right? Yes. But what do you say to those people who, A, give me that, give or give you or give anyone that blank stare of fear when you say pick up the phone? And then also the other people who say, oh, no, it's all about social. It's all about inbound. It's all, you know, picking up the phone is dead. Man, you're about to get me on my soapbox here for a second. Uh, <laughs> so let's, you know, let's, uh, I'm going to start with a couple of stories just to illustrate uh, I don't know that, that art is the right way to describe, is it a lost art? But when, when I'm, and this happened to me a couple of weeks ago, I'm in a call center working with a group of salespeople. 
This group of salespeople has a list. The list is of existing customers. They're calling existing customers simply to find out when those existing customers will have a next buying window. That's it. Really easy call. These are people who do business with them. They know who they are. They pick up the phone. They answer. They're nice. There's no objections, no pushback, no anything. It just sounds like, you know, like hey, Jeb, when are you going to be doing your next purchase? That simple. So, um, so I'm sitting out with the people and they go, man, this cold calling is really hard. <laughs> and I had to explain to four people that you are not cold calling your existing customers. You're calling your existing customers, but they were struggling with that. That's illustration number one. Illustration number two, four weeks ago, I'm, and this is four weeks ago, I'm going to give you the, this, the saga. I'm trying to buy a new car. I want to buy a Jeep Gladiator. I've been following this, this Jeep Gladiator since it came out. So <clears throat> I finally got permission from my boss, my wife, that I could get a Jeep <laughs> Gladiator. So I got funded. Like I got, you know, the wife says I can get it. So I go online to Auto Trader. And I'm, I'm looking at all the dealerships within about a hundred miles of me because they're, you know, these things are all over. I find one that I like. I push a button. I send it. Two days later, I get an email back from the dealership. And, and, and I was really busy that day. So I didn't respond to it. So the next day I got a just checking in email from the dealership. So I type back. Uh, I'm sorry. I was busy yesterday, but I'm curious. Why don't you just call me? <laughs> and the response that I got back from the salesperson was, well, we don't really like to bother people. Well, I'm like, well, I want to buy a car. And so, and, and they, so I said, I'd really like to talk to somebody. I get another email and I get another email. And finally at the end, I'm so frustrated with it. I'm like, what do I need you as a dealership? Why don't you just put the thing online? Give me a button. I'll click it and just put my credit card in and I'll buy the Jeep. I mean, you can do that at Tesla. So why can I do that? So I give up on that dealership. I move on because they're just treating me like a transaction. So I go to another dealership. And I put my information in and you're going to love this one because this is crazy. And by the way, I'm a buyer. Like there's a neon sign over me that says <laughs> I'm going to buy. I'm pulling the trigger. All I need is someone to help me buy it. So I go to another dealership. They're up in South Carolina. I click the, um, the button. I say, I'm interested in buying your, uh, your, your Jeep Gladiator. And immediately I get a call back. A guy named Charlie calls me back. I'm like, man, that's awesome. Charlie calls me back. I'm like, Charlie, how are you going? I'm going to buy this Jeep, blah, 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 blah. But the thing is, is that I'm on an airplane. They're closing the door. Call me back tomorrow morning, and let's go through the process of what I need to do in order to buy the Jeep. And by the way, I'm going to need you to deliver it to me. Next day, no call. Like, the dude did not follow up. So I get a, a whole week goes by, and I get a text from Charlie seven days later, asking me permission for him to text me. Now he talked to me on the telephone. I'm a buyer. Like I'm going to buy something. So I didn't respond to that. Cause I'm not, I'm not doing the guy's job for him. Like, you know, pick up the phone, call me, have a conversation. So another week goes by and yesterday I got an email from him just checking in to see if I'm still interested in buying a Jeep. Wow. I haven't responded yet, but I really want to respond I mean, what's wrong with you? Like what, 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 what part of you don't understand that we're about talking to people? Because here's the thing. If, if, if all you want to do is treat me like a transaction, why do we need a dealership? If right. all you want to do is treat your people, your customers like a transaction, why do we need you? What I wanted was a buying experience. What I wanted was to talk to someone who knew what they were talking about. What I wanted was someone to work with me and want my business and pursue me and help me and say, Tell me what your situation is. Well, listen, I travel all the time. I can't come pick it up. Can you deliver? Yes, we'll deliver it to you. Where do you need it delivered? 
it wasn't about money. It was about experience. And most of the time it's that way. So the thing that I don't understand about human beings at this point, when we start thinking about calling people is especially salespeople is at what point did you decide that selling wasn't about having conversations with other people? It, we get paid to talk to people. If, if you, if you don't want to talk to people and people can buy stuff without talking to you, we don't need you. It's the internet. And by the way, looking in the eyeballs of all the salespeople who are watching this, this is important. You can't compete with the internet ever. So the thing is, is that you have to start having conversations. And this is not an art. It's a discipline. It is understanding that, that sales is human to human. And the reason that you're here is that you're adding that, that the human element that makes it easier for people to make a decision. I would have already bought that, that, that gladiator. I, I guarantee you that if Charlie had called me back the next day, I was ready to say, just do this, 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 this. Here's the phone number. Call my wife. She's going to give you the money. And just make sure that it's there when I get back from Asia. Because I was on my way to Kuala Lumpur. So, but Charlie didn't do that because Charlie's afraid to have a conversation with human beings. Or he's uncomfortable having a conversation with human beings. Or maybe he's just lazy and he wants me to do the work for him. But he picked the wrong, <laughs> the wrong buyer because I'm not doing work for a salesperson. They're going to have to do it themselves. So my message to you and everyone else is, is sales is human to human. And it's the human relationship that creates the opportunity for you to differentiate and the opportunity for you to get buyers to have a great buying experience and to, and, and to move to close. And you should never forget that the, the buyer's experience while going through the process with you is a more consistent predictor of outcome of any other variable. Interesting. Yeah. And, and in many cases, I mean, you went from dealer to dealer, right? They have the same car. The difference yeah. isn't the car, it's the person, right? And it's that yes. human experience that, that makes That's, the difference. You're exactly right. <laughs> I was so happy when Charlie got on phone me. I was like, I was so happy. I was like, man, I'm so glad you called me. But it's, it, 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 at the end, he just, you know, he just didn't follow through. And he's, and he's, and I mean, this cat would be, I don't know how much commission they would make. And they're not doing it. I mean, not making deals on these things because they're brand new and they're hot. Right. So it's not like, you're going in thinking we're going to be have a big negotiation. They're basically naming the price and you're going to buy it. So all he had to do was be nice and follow through and treat me like I mattered. I'll have to find off offline what, what city that I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. So I'll have to find out what yeah. city that was. in. <laughs> I can tell you where it was in Kia. It was up at Lake Kiowa. It was a Kiowa Jeep and something or another. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yep. I'll have to check that up out. Up in the upstate. Absolutely. <laughs> so, I, uh, I had a PR and ad agency for 13 years and I built it. It was very successful. I shut it down because I hated it. I, I, I just learned to hate it. Didn't like my clients, all that. And I had built it off one-on-ones, sitting down, having a dinner, having a coffee, having a drink, picking up the phone, doing it that way. When I shifted into doing what I do now, which is writing books, doing podcasts and, and training, for some reason in my mind, it's like, well, what worked for me before, which was the human interaction, now I got to throw it out the window and now I got to do social selling. And it's all about social selling. And I did, you know, the webinar and I did all that. I didn't have my message straight. And, and you know what? In year one, I did six figures just from videos on LinkedIn, like literally not picking up the phone. But as I learned, um, it's feast or famine because all yes. of a sudden, oh, hey, the algorithm is great this month. <laughs> I got three clients. And then it's all of a sudden I got nothing for two months and, and you go up and down and so earlier this year, you know, I started building a sales team. 
We're like, you know what? Forget the feast or famine. That's great, but we're going to start calling people. We're going to start. We went through a number of salespeople, uh, some who would come in and say, I'm a closer. I'm a closer. (laughs) What that meant was they wanted to just wake up in the morning, look in their Calendly, see what was in there and take the call. There was no, hey, here's a list of people, call them. On the other end, and, and some of those folks were older. On the other end were some younger sales folks who never would pick up the phone. Um, what we, when we finally got it right, which was we're going to call through, we're going to call through, I pick up the phone too. And we call and we find people in their buying window and you call 40 people. Maybe you have 40 appointments. You get four clients out of that. You quickly forget about the 36 who said right. no. But pairing, you write a lot in fanatical prospecting about social selling, what it is, what it isn't, and having that omni-channel approach where you had that competition with the dude in your office, right? And he's right. like, I'm going to do social selling. And he's like, I, well, I'm, I'm having connection requests and all this. And, and, and you make the point of, I'm not saying don't do the social. You pair it all together yeah. paired with picking up the phone. Um, why is that so hard for some people to, to grasp? Well, I, let's just go back to the conversation we just had. You know, the discipline to pick up the phone is a discipline to have conversations with people. And when you're doing pure outreach, you are going to get more rejection. People are going to say no to you. You're going to run into, into the fear of what's going to happen next. Way different than calling the customers and even way different calling, than calling inbound leads. Uh, but the, the, when you start thinking about prospecting, especially getting buyers' attentions these days, you want to think sequencing versus a, a, a single channel. So use an omni-channel. So the thing about, you know, about putting it all together is, like, for example, yesterday we were working on a, a 4 3 two, two, one sequence. So with one of my salespeople. So she's going to make four outbound phone calls and we default to phone calls. So this is, this is one of the big things I think is important for salespeople and prospecting. Most salespeople default to email. So they would go four, three, two, one, right? So they would do four, four emails, three voicemails, two uh, social media touches and one handwritten card. So um, I believe lead with the phone because why? If I get a list of people and I call the list, somebody on that list is going to talk to me. So why am I going to slow that process down by sending them an email first? Why don't I just peel the people off the top that are just going to have a conversation with me? So when you're running a sequence, as soon as you engage the, the prospect, they come out of the sequence. So in this case, uh, 43221, it was uh, four phone calls. So we would, it, we would leave four voicemails. So if we get them on the telephone, they're out of the sequence. So four voicemails, um, three emails two social media touches. And we talk about social media touch. It's, a, it's, a, it's the art of creating familiarity. So the social media touch might be a, a LinkedIn invite that could be a social media touch. It could be an in-mail in, in, within LinkedIn. And we'll, we, we leave that in social media, even though a direct message is essentially the same thing as an email. It's just in a different inbox. Uh, but we would consider that a social media touch. It could be I click on your profile so that maybe you see my face or I like something that you're doing. Um, it could be one of those things. That's different than posting videos, which is really, you know, it's really, you know, sales and marketing kind of pushed together. But we're talking about directly touching a prospect. Uh, and then two outbound cards. So we would, we've got this little app called Outbound Cards and you can find out more about it at outboundcards.com that we use. Um, but we go to Outbound Cards 
and we have these preset cards and we just click them and it sends it to the, the prospect. We don't have to touch anything. And then we'll send one gift. So we have these really cool um, door hangers that say one more call on them uh, and, and leave me alone. So we'll, you can hang them on your door when you're prospecting. So people will leave you alone and we'll put a handwritten note in there and we'll run that over a 14 day period. And the idea here is that um, first of all, the first group of prospects we call, let's just say we're working this on 100, we might talk to four of them. So four of those people are going to talk to us. We're going to qualify them. We're going to either decide to move them into the sales process or save them for later or take them completely out of our database. Then a certain number of people are going to respond to the email. So we'll take some of those folks. Some of those are going to tell us to go, you know, go away. It may be less. So usually you get about a one or 2% return on email prospecting. Uh, and one of those emails may even be a video. So we'll, my, my sales rep will set, you know, we'll do a, a specific video. Um, we use a, uh, a little tool called Hippo Videos that we dig. It's awesome. It plugs right into uh, our CRM, which is HubSpot. And it plugs into that and it'll plug into our sequencing uh, inside of HubSpot. Um, so we go through that process. And and then uh, some, some people are going to respond to that. Then we're going to... we're. Most people are not going to respond to a social media touch. I mean, what the, the truth is, is that it's not a responsive type of medium. It's more about familiarity. So it's where, the, where you put that in your sequence. So if I do a phone call, send you an email and, and touch you on LinkedIn, then you see me a couple of times. And the whole idea here is, um, is the law of familiarity, which basically says the more familiar someone is with you, the more likely they are to engage. It's a really simple process. So, and familiarity breeds liking. So look across that, that sequence, as we go through four, three, two, two, one, we're creating familiarity. At the end of that sequence, let's say we went through a hundred, uh, on a, on a normal basis going through that process, we have either qualified or disqualified 50 of the prospects on that list. We've moved them into a different list up the prospecting pyramid, which you read about in fanatical prospecting. And the other 50 that we didn't get in touch with, we just put those back into the general database and we'll come back to them another quarter or another day. It's not about stalking people, but it's about engaging people. So as a salesperson, you start thinking about this. It is, it can get rather complicated, but there are really good tools on the market today for sequencing. Um, and a couple of those tools are, uh, we, we love HubSpot. It's our favorite. Another tool we really, really love is Vanilla Soft. Uh, it's an outstanding tool. Uh, and it, uh, it, it's, I mean, just fantastic. Uh, there's Outreach, which is another tool in that space. And then Sales Loft is another tool in that space. But these are all sequencing tools that allow you to build out these both online and offline sequences. If you're an outside sales rep, you could have a, you know, a five, four, three, two, one. So you make five phone calls. Uh, you do four emails. You do three uh, in-person prospecting touches. Uh, one of those might be a, a gift drop. Uh, you do a handwritten card. You do social media. So you just go through that sequence over a period of time. That might be a 21-day sequence. And the idea is that over that period of time, you're going to engage that prospect and you're going to make a decision what to do with them. You're either going to move them into the sales process immediately. You're going to qualify them for a future buying window. You're going to qualify them for a future campaign, um, or you're not going to get any engagement at all. You're going to put them back into the general database and come back to them another time. So when you start pairing all of these things together, when you start doing it this way, suddenly you become much more powerful. But the problem is, and you, you nailed this earlier, is when we start thinking about sequencing, the, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I hate to say the vast majority, but there is a huge number of both leaders and salespeople who forgot that outreach includes having a human conversation. Hmm. And when you pick up the phone, it's the fastest, easiest way to talk to another human being. 
That's why we default, like the first step in every sequence, at least in my world with my people, my sales team, is pick up the phone. I get really, really squirrely when we start sending emails before we start doing a phone outreach. Yeah. And, and in your book, you write about, in Fanatical Prospecting, you write about the fact that, you know, all these people who claim that the phone doesn't work and phone rates are going down. You actually found the opposite, right? Over the past decade or five, I can't remember what the timeline yes. was, but it actually, I mean, when I've called people, like every once in a while, I'll see someone viewed my profile and they're within my customer persona. I'll pick up the phone and call and they'll be like, what? What? <laughs> no, they're not, you, no one's used to the phone ringing yeah. anymore. It's true. The, I mean, the, 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 you know, most people, their phone is attached to their, you know, their, uh, their body. You can see here my handy dandy, one more call. Um, and uh, the, uh, but most of the time, you know, the, the phone's attached to their body. It's, it's on them. And they, and they don't realize that when you pick, when you call people, no one else is calling. So you stand out. And I know this to be true. I, I, right, I'm in our studio right now, but right on the other side of me is our offices. And, and we're on the phone talking to people. And turns out when we get on the phone, people talk back to us. So just default to a conversation. And, and it's because you're going to sell things in the conversation. I go back to if your sales process is emailing people and texting people or DMing people, we don't need you anymore. Hmm. We can hire a marketing department that can send, buy Google AdWords, send people to a website and entice them to click on something and buy. If, if, if you are a sales professional, your job is to be a guide. Your job is to help people. Your job is to create a better buying experience. Your job is to take the complexity out of difficult purchases and, and be an expert. Your guide is to be con consultative. Your, your job is to, is to be valuable to your prospects. Well, you cannot do that on text and email. You do that through human-to-human -human connection. And the phone is the easiest, fastest way to connect with another human being. The, uh, so the, the, the Jeep dealer that you talked about or the salesman, uh, or maybe he's not a salesman, right? Uh, <laughs> he, you know, he couldn't even find the time. You said whether he's lazy or didn't have the discipline to pick up the phone and call you. Yep. You just went through uh, a sequencing program that involved not just DMing and sending an email, involved picking up the phone, involved maybe putting stuff in the mail, right? Sending mm -hmm. a gift and all that. The dude at the Jeeps might be thinking, oh my gosh, that's a lot of, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of stuff to do. And, and, you know, Joe entrepreneur, Jane entrepreneur, Joe salesperson, whatever it is. And you write about the three P's and the reason people, things get in the way. And Mike mm -hmm. Weinberg, who wrote the foreword to your book, I had him on uh, this summer, you know, and he talks about the fact that some people aren't, they're, they're wondering why they're not selling. And he's like, you're not selling because you're not selling, right? right, um, right. <laughs> and, and you write about the three Ps, procrastination, perfection, and paralysis from analysis. Mm -hmm. So someone who's like, oh, I got a sequence. He, he threw some numbers down, four, three, seven, whatever his numbers were. And he's talking about physical things and, and the three Ps are going to get in my way. What do you tell someone like that who starts getting the jitters about sequences and all this work? Well, I, well, look, first of all, doing sequences is work and it is complex and you have to think about it. So first of all, if you're an individual salesperson and you start thinking through it, it's tough to do that on your own. So when we're working on our sequences, we're typically working as a team because you want to, and we were trying to be creative and you think I'm going to send four emails. You can't send the same email every single time. So you want to be thoughtful about the order that you're putting things in. 
So it is hard work. And anything that's hard work, we have a tendency to procrastinate on. But in Charlie's case, the sales rep who is, you know, never followed up with me, he, you know, his thing is, first of all, he probably procrastinated on making the phone call because he's afraid of making the phone call. Uh, but I think more than anything, it's the, it's the, um, it's the paralysis from analysis. What, would, what, what will he say? What if he does this? What if he says this? What if he says this? You know, you, you were just, as you were talking, I was thinking, what if Charlie had gone out and gotten somebody in, the, in, in his dealership and said, hold my phone? And he stood in front of the Jeep um, Gladiator that I picked out online and a white Rubicon, baby, I want one of those, man, I'll tell you. And he's standing out there in front of it and he's got somebody holding an iPhone and he goes, Jeb Blunt, this is your Jeep Gladiator. I know you want it and I'm going to deliver it to you. Call me back right now so that you can get this. I, I would have called him back. Even though he sent the email, I would have seen that he made an effort right. to connect with me and I would have said, okay, I'm, I'm going to do the work for you and call you back. But he didn't do that because he's thinking, well, what if, what if the picture didn't look good? Or what if he thought I was foolish? Or what if this? Or what if that? Or what if this? Or what if he says no? Or what if he wants to negotiate? Or what of all these things? That's the number one reason why people aren't, aren't picking up the phone and calling is because they're going through all of these what ifs and they're analyzing every single one of them. And so they do that all day long. And by the end of the day, like Mike Weinberg said, the reason they're not selling is they're not selling. They're not doing anything. They're not making a phone call. I mean, yeah. the guy could have stood in front of the Jeep Grand Cherokee, I mean, the Jeep Gladiator and said, listen, I'm going to sell this to someone else. This is yours. Do you want it? Like, I mean, just show me something that you care enough. And if you do that, Lord have mercy. You know, I'll buy from you. And I think most people will. I think that um, I was, I tell the story, I was telling a story to a group of salespeople up in Minneapolis a couple of weeks ago, but like I called um, this, this company, it was a big, big company and still in South Carolina, we're in, it was in Greenwood, South Carolina, called and called and called and called and called and called. I think I called the buyer like 51 times in a row, like every day I called him. Finally, he answers the phone. Uh, I go in to see him. Now, I tell people I call the guy 51 times in a row, and these people are like, oh my God, how could you do that? Like, that's so horrible. You know, what's wrong with you? But the buying window was open, and if I didn't close the deal, I was going to lose it. By the way, Charlie, if you're watching, your buying window is about to close. So, um, so, so I called. Well, here's what's amazing about that type of persistence. People dig it. They love it. Now, I'm not talking about stalking. That's different, right? Stalking is when you call someone who you have no, who you haven't qualified. You don't know if they have a buying window open. You don't know if they have a need or a want or desire or an opportunity for you to sell them something. And you're just calling them apropos of nothing over and over and over again. That's stalking. But when there is a buying window open, so I'm going to go back to my buddy Charlie over here at the dealership. There's a buying window open. That son of a gun should have been on the phone every single day calling me because I'm going to buy a Jeep Gladiator. I told him that. I'm going to buy one. It's going to happen. When I buy one, I won't need another one. So the salesperson who closes the deal is the one, the only person that's going to get that deal. So you know that there's a buying window open. You know that I've been funded by the boss, so I'm going to do something. So in this case, the buying window was open, so I was calling, calling, calling. So finally, they gave me an appointment. <clears throat> when I got there, the director of sales was in the office with the purchasing guy and offered me a job. And his words were, I wish all my salespeople were like you, because people <laughs> dig persistence. Interesting. Interesting. So... Let's talk a little sales EQ, 
which is your okay. other book, right? And one of your other books, one of your many books. Um, one piece that, that, that stood out to me because I've had this conversation sort of in a sales realm, but in more of a, um, well, I'll, I'll tell you some stories. So it, it, in terms of the deliberate pursuit of reciprocity, leading to that jaded view and that frustration. And so I, I had a conversation the other day with someone who uh, was an author and he started a new podcast, right? And he was so frustrated that people, his family, his friends, whatever, wouldn't like or share his post. Then another person I know shared, she came out with a book and on Facebook, people don't like good books anymore. People don't like art. For God's sakes, it's 99 cents on Kindle. Why aren't you buying this? Then I, I watched a recent TEDx speech by a guy named, um, I don't know if you know, Brian Rose. He's got London Real TV in, Lo in London and, and podcast. And he gave a TEDx speech in which he started this podcast and he's, he's ready to go for it. And it was back when Facebook had the, the thing where, uh, when it was new at the time where, you know, you have your page and invite your friends to like the page. He's like, wow, I have, you know, thousands of friends on Facebook, all my friends and family. I'm going to like, I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to have like 1500 likes. Right. And he got up and there was like 10. Okay. He was so mad. Why does, why don't people love me? Why don't uh, you like me? And so then I read what you wrote about the deliberate pursuit of reciprocity. And when you go in and expect something and that quid pro quo, A, you're not going to get it because you're needy, right? And C, you just get frustrated, at least in that scarcity mindset that just yes. destroys you, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that, you know, going in and expecting um, that... Uh, when you give, you'll get back is uh, essentially that's creating premeditated resentment. And, uh, and obligation is a powerful human influence. So our human influence framework is, in fact, one of the most powerful human influence frameworks is if I give to you, you'll give back to me. And so two things are wrong with the, the scenario that we just got into, right? One is that these people didn't give anything to the people they're expecting to give back to them. So there was, they didn't add any value. If we go back to what you said earlier, you know, I was creating videos on LinkedIn. Those videos can create clients if you are delivering value online for the people that are watching you and they watch it and they go, wow, that was, you know, this person invested in me. They took time out of their day. I mean, what we're doing right now, you know, we're not getting paid for this. I mean, this is, this is about creating value and we believe that by creating enough value over time, people will come and say, listen, I want to learn more or I want to lean into this or I want to give back to that. So these folks added no value at all to anybody's life. They gave nothing. So all of those people in their network had no obligation or no feeling of obligation to give anything back anyway. And the second thing that they did is they expected that, that, that just because they asked that people would give back and they got they, their, you know, their feelings got hurt by that and they felt bad about that. And, 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 and it would probably even cause them to give up. Like they get jaded. The whole world doesn't like me. And it, you know, it just, that's not how the world works. Like the world works is you get value, get value, get value, get value, get value. And then some people will take that value and feel an obligation to come back to you. We, um, I've got, you know, 1.2 million people on my, on my email list. That's a lot of people. I can, you know, I can move the world with that many people. But when I like put up a new course and I send it out, um, you know, I'll I'll sell out of 1.2 million. I'll have 60 people buy that day when I send a course out. You can sit around and go, "Oh my God, it's so bad." 1.2 million people and 60 people buy. Nobody likes me. Or you could think 60 people bought for me today because 
I sent out an email. And the reason they bought from me is because I've delivered so much value through my newsletters and my videos and all these other things that those people at that moment believe that the time was right for them. And, and, and that's the key. And for, for the authors that you were talking about, you know, my, my message to authors is just straight up. The money's on the road. You've got to get out and you've got to meet people. It is no different than making phone calls. I sell a ton of books. I've written 11 of them. I've, I've learned this through, you know, through time. It is being on the street. It is getting in front of people. It is having conversations and it is giving up worrying about are people buying your book or not buying your book and, and thinking about how many human connections that I make today that caused one person to buy that book who became a uh, enthusiastic fan who then told 10 other people to go buy my book and, and, and then do that again and do that again and do that again. But back to the hard work thing, you know, we're talking about sequencing. That is hard work. Like it's hard work to deliver value. It's hard work to be valuable to people. It's hard work to go out and meet people. But if you want to sell a bunch of books or you want to sell a bunch of anything, that's the key. When I picked up your book earlier this year, you know, because I had done the whole social selling thing and I'm like, I prospect it. Yeah, I'm going to get fanatical about it. And earlier in the, uh, this is part of the problem, right? Earlier in the, uh, in this conversation, I used the word art, right? You talked about discipline. So I pick up your book expecting arts and all these secret things. There's a lot of great tactical things in there. I mean, you talk about CRMs, you talk about a lot of things we're talking about today, but the biggest part of the book and you just, you just said something about focusing on the 60 who bought the online course instead of the other whatever, one point, whatever, million who didn't, yeah. you know, gratitude. The biggest part of your book was mindset to me, um, which is why I love reading good sales books. There's a lot of BS out there and everything, but, but it, it's mindset. And a lot of the things you share, a lot of the things you're sharing here are not things that you made up out of thin air, no. but there are things that are hard work. I mean, you talk about the, the golden hours, you talk about, you know, the three P's procrastination, perfection. You didn't make up those words. I mean, a lot of it comes down or all of it comes down to discipline, time blocking, doing those things, getting a CRM. I mean, I, we probably have a whole other discussion about, I'm sure you have, and I've run across people who companies that have been around forever that are using Google sheets, uh, yep. in lieu of a CRM and, and all these, um, these things. I mean, when you do the basics and you do them well, um, and you wake up in the morning and you visualize how these calls are going to go. So you're not terrified of them and, uh, it makes a big difference. So as a former PR guy used to do media trainings, um, I used to, you know, lawyers were always fun to do media trainings, uh, because they like to take the bait and they like to go down rabbit holes. One of the pieces you talk about uh, in Sales EQ, you have a blog post on it, are the red herrings. Yes. The, the guy who comes in or the woman who comes in, he's going to do the sales presentation. And all of a sudden at the very top, you ask, well, you showed all those logos of those big brands. We don't have their logos. And you throw them right off and they take that bait and then go down the rabbit hole and they can never yep. crawl out. What do you say to someone who they, they throw it to you and you, that, that bait is right there and they're going to trap you Instead of taking it, you talk about using non-complementary language to just move past it and then keep going. And then, by the way, don't bring it up. <laughs> don't bring it up at the end. Something. Um, what do you tell someone who, who is, is someone who is more likely than not, they always like to take that bait? 
It, it is emotional discipline with red herring. So it is taking the bait. So the first thing I tell people is never, ever, 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 ever chase red herrings. Don't do it. Now, that's easy to say. It's hard to do. Uh, I've chased red herrings. I've, I've blown sales calls up because at the very beginning of the sales call, the person says something. I let my emotional discipline down for just a moment, and I started going down that road. So, for example, at the very beginning of a call, a lot of people say, well, how much does it cost? And the salesperson goes down the road of saying how much it costs. They move into the negotiating you know, stage of the sales process before they've even demonstrated any value. So there's no, there's no value bridge to the price. Then it doesn't mean anything other than price. So there's no differentiation. And it's a really easy thing to do. And, and part of it is a disruptive emotion called eagerness. And this is especially true with young salespeople. And I say young salespeople, you could, young, young in your job as a salesperson, you could be 60 years old and move into your first job in sales and you're going to make the same mistake. But young salespeople have a tendency to do that because they're eager to please. The person asked me about it, I need to tell them about it. Uh, some people are, you know, have the, the problem of, uh, of just not understanding that they have to engineer the, emotion before they can get to the logic. So they don't get that piece. So they just start talking. But most people don't recognize that the problem is, is their brain and they need to have a mechanism or a technique that allows them to get control over their brain in that moment. So, um, so I use a, a really simple methodology called uh, pause, acknowledge, and ignore uh, when I get a, uh, a red herring. So when I get a red herring, a person says, for example, let's say that at the very beginning of a call, you said, well, Jeb, the thing is, I need you to understand is that uh, we're we're not going to be signing any long-term contracts. Now, imagine if my product requires a long-term contract, and I say that up front, I have a tendency to get into an argument with the person right there on the spot. Now, I don't think I'm arguing, but I'm trying to overcome an objection before I have understood their business, understood value, and been able to bridge to why a long-term contract would be beneficial to them. So what I do in those situations is I, is I just stop for a second, and I get a pen out, and I write it down. I acknowledge it. And anytime you write something down, it tells the person this is important, and that you care about it, and you acknowledge it. And I say, great, okay, so not signing long-term contracts, what else? And they say, well, that's, that's everything we got. And I go, great. And, and I use this process to get in control every single time. And this, this little framework I'm about to give you is not for them, it's for me. Because it's telling my mouth to shut up. <laughs> I'll say, I'll write it down, I'll go, great. I'll tell you what, if it's okay with you, what I'd like to do is ask a few questions to learn more about you and your unique, your unique situation. Then we can talk about what we do here at my company. And then from there, you and I can make a decision whether or not it even makes sense for us to keep talking. Now, those words, one of those words even makes sense. That's a little bit of a non-complimentary behavior, which means I'm taking away that I'm chasing. So it causes them to lean in because people want what they can't have. I'm also appealing to their need for significance and importance by saying, I'm going to listen to you. I want to learn about you and your unique situation. And at the same time, I'm telling myself, don't talk. They talk first, then you talk. And so in the process of that, the issue with we're not signing a long-term contract, which could just be a buyer's script, that moves to the side. I simply just let it go. I then get them talking, which causes them to like me. And when they're talking to me and they like me, they'll feel an obligation to continue moving forward. Then I can bridge to value, which would be our next step. And I'm beginning to engineer their experience. And if we just get back down to the root of this, it's the buyer's emotional experience of working with me through the sales and buying process that is the most consistent predictor of outcome of any other variable. 
So if we know that to be true, it has nothing to do with a long-term contract. It has everything to do with how they feel about me. And if I don't engineer the process from, from the moment that we meet all the way through a series of micro-commitments, so I'm building that relationship along the way, I lose that particular edge that would make them more motivated to do business with me. So I, in this process of getting past the red herring, if I don't do that, I immediately go from hello to negotiate, hello to objection, and I miss all those steps along the way that, that create that feeling of, I really want to do business with you. And along the way on those micro steps, we're basically asking are answering five questions for the buyer. Do I like you? Do you listen to me? Do you make me feel important? Do you get me in my problems? And do I trust and believe you? And it's those those answers, if those answers are yes to those questions, that creates a motivation for the buyer to do business with you and no one else. Um, so, the, you know, when you talk about the red herring, it, it, there's there's there are a few things that mess salespeople up more than that that are more benign, more benign and people don't recognize what happened to them because it's just natural human conversation. But they have to, the salespeople in particular have to recognize that their job is to engineer and build the rails, the steps of that process that that relationship's going to be built on so that they're building the case that only them, only the salesperson can solve this person's problem. I love it. And um, the uh, that's in the book. I may have said it was in sales EQ. I believe that's actually in objections. It's an objection. Uh, the right yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, well, Jeb, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, we could talk for hours. I have a whole bunch of questions. At least I know you're launching a new uh, effort on Sales Gravy on LinkedIn. I, a recent podcast I listened to, which is, I listen to your podcast. I see your name. I, the fact that I mispronounced your name and I've heard it pronounced like a million times, I'm going to kick myself. But you talk about LinkedIn and the power of LinkedIn as a sales tool. Mm -hmm. uh, I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And uh, we're going to link to everything, especially Sales Gravy, which has like a field of knowledge bombs uh, in yes. terms of sales mindset, everything we're talking about today. We're going to link to all of that. Also, Jeb is, uh, are you founder of Outbound? Or I know you're one of the, the founding fathers, but I don't know if you... Yeah, you, yeah. Anthony uh, Anarino and I um, were, the, uh, were the original sort of, you know, got the idea kicked off. And, uh, and then we added uh, Mark Hunter. Uh, Mike Weinberg was one of our original founders. And, uh, and then uh, we've added uh, uh, Victor Antonio to, okay. our, uh, to our awesome group of people. And we're also, you know, this is you know, this is a, a mastermind group as well. So we're professionals that work in this space and we share a lot of ideas with each other and help each other. Even though we're, you know, people say, well, how, why do y'all do that? You're competitors. And I'm, well, yeah, we're competitors, but I mean, there's so much business out there and we're rarely running into each other. And when we do, we're respectful of each other in those situations. So we, we do more to help each other's businesses because we surrounded ourselves with people who uh, are smart and talented and, uh, and, from my, and from my standpoint, way more talented than I am. So it, uh, it helps me grow. That's awesome. I had, uh, I had Anthony on a month ago and I have Mark on next week. So uh, we're getting that. And I'll, I'll see you at Outbound. Um, awesome. We're going to link to everything. We'll link to Outbound. Jeb, once again, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. <laughs>